Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. And I'm your host, Shelly Prevost. We are the podcast for the Big Self School, and we offer classes, coaching, and books to help you rediscover your purpose and activate it in bigger ways. And today we have on Michael Thompson. He is a career strategist who works with business professionals and entrepreneurs to open more doors and receive greater satisfaction from their work. As a communication coach, he helps business executives and entrepreneurs be successful by making the right connections. And as a career coach, he's worked with over 250 individuals from recent college graduates to CEOs of multinationals and award-winning creatives to take the right small steps to reach their big goal. He has a fascinating story, and we think you're really going to like this episode. And Michael Thompson, welcome to the show. Hey, Michael. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we're glad you're here. Yeah, you, Michael, you have got such an interesting story. You grew up with what you term uh, severe social anxiety. You you had a stutter. And uh, could you tell us about what that was like? And then what did you do to, you know, when you finally decided to take on a job that was going to challenge you in a whole new way? Yeah. Uh, growing up, I had a severe stutter and I didn't know what social anxiety was until probably I was 20, 25. But I was just like extremely shy. And um I've kind of always liked to express myself and I wrote, um, and I used to write a lot, draw, play sports, but in terms of like making friends, I, I was dreadfully shy and I took a job straight out of college, um, in sales as a way to just like the, like the whole plan, like was just, to screw up to gain some confidence. And I ended up um, excelling at it, like, which really surprised me. It, it took about a month um, for me to get, like to find um, cert, uh, certain strengths I had, but I excelled at it. And within a year I was managing teams, became the corporate trainer, like was in the top 10 of the company and it was a big company. Um, so it was interesting that that, like that just like that one decision, like really altered the, the, the uh, shape of my life. Mm. So can I ask you like a, I guess a piggyback question with that? Cause I was reading your article on business insider. Um, let me go back up here. I have a stutter and it's made me become a better leader. Here's why. <clears throat> so I'm curious, like, you know, you give some, some really good, um, examples. You share your story in this article. How, like, what did you learn? Like leadership isn't all about, I think what, what we think it's about, like you learned some, some different skills and actually became, it sounds like more, more influential, had a little bit more power because of what you learned. So what is it besides just talking and communication that you learned through this process? I think it's a, like, it's a big question. And that article took me Mm -hmm. three weeks to write. Like, it's like my, Mm. like, it's like the story of my life in five bullet points. So it's a, yeah. it took me a long yeah. like three weeks. I didn't write anything else in that time. I, I just stared at like the blank page, for, you know, day in and day out. And it was just like, for me, I think I had to become self-aware faster 
because I couldn't rely mm-hmm. on like the like the main trait you think of a of a leader is like somebody who's out in front. So I had to yeah. learn how to support from behind and yeah, you have to speak, but um, if you can identify what's valuable to, uh, to people, that's a valuable trait. And so I think it was like, uh, like naturally I was empathetic, I think, and I was a listener observer. Um, so I just think I needed to, push myself out into a scary situation. And I saw those traits for the first time. So with the stutter, I was like consumed with this weakness and I didn't see the things I had um, underneath. And that helped, I think with the connection with the guys on my team is like, because I couldn't do it alone. Um, We all kind of had to do it together. And in certain environments, um, like the, that's a massive strength and opening like I was 23 at the time, 24. Um, and that was just like seeing how other people responded that like, Hey, I'm maybe I'm not the stereotypical leader, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of drawn personally also to the uh, leaders who's who support first. Mm-hmm. So it was a good thing to learn early on. Um, it's not just charisma, confidence, um, and, yeah. you know, like you can go kind, caring, and maybe it takes you a little bit longer, but yeah, it doesn't have to. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Those are the leaders that inspire me also, Michael. Um, yeah, just the, the servant leadership style is very much what I'm drawn to. Um, you also say in this article, stuttering taught me the importance of giving people room to lead themselves. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So when I was... Uh, I think I explained in the article there, it's like my first week of that job, the corporate train, like we had to get, like break off in pairs and do role playing. And I was scared to death to do it. And my manager saw my, like my expression and he pulled me aside and he put me on a phone alone in a room and just left me there. And he was like, Hey, just mm-hmm. get comfortable. And that like, wow. really, like, yeah, it's like, that's like a turning point in my life. I think is like seeing that, like, it was just like, wow. Like the guy, like, yeah, he was obviously observing me hmm. and he didn't just throw in the towel. He was like, well, maybe he, yeah, he needs to do it another way. Hmm. And I really think that that is like, you have to give people room um, to discover like, themselves in a way and also like their strengths and there isn't like one way to do something well and I think if you can get, like give people space like most people want to do a good job and they're hard workers it, and it's just like you just have to like give them room to kind of explore for, uh, for themselves especially now I think there's a lot of opportunities like you can work remote da, da, da. So you kind of have to be self-sufficient Mm-hmm. And you're just like the leader shouldn't be holding your hand, like more guiding you. Um, so that was a really important experience to like feel firsthand and like n- n- not just see or hear, but, but like physically feel that. Like it was a mm-hmm. it was a cool thing. And he was like an alpha too, so it was really cool seeing the contrast. And I really like that of he mm-hmm. was like the confident, but like like. 
deep down, he was also an extremely observant, caring guy. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it. Yeah, gift. and it sounds like uh, you had you were exposed to some a pretty unusual uh, example of maybe yeah pretty high level high functioning self awareness from from some leadership, which I think is pretty unusual. And in fact, I mean your story here of like just kind of going for your going at your weakness is maybe also counter counterintuitive a little bit too. Like when you are coaching your clients to overcome an obstacle, you know, cause you hear a lot, there's a, there was in fact, even a whole trend over the past several years of like, forget about your weaknesses, maximize your strengths. Um, but you, you know, you took the bull by the horns, um, with what you would call your, maybe your weakness, so how do you advise people, you know, that um, who want to become leaders, but are dealing with their maybe real or their perceived limitations? How do you advise them? How do you work with them? Uh, because, you know, you also hear that Ryan Holiday stuff of, you know, the obstacle is the way. So um, is it both and or what? how do you advise people? It is a both and. And I'm doing my like with writing career coaching stuff. It is my strength, I think, but I had to get the weaknesses a little bit stronger. And those Mm. weaknesses gave me the confidence like to see my actual strengths. I also believe that like follow your passions, good advice, I guess. But I recently stumbled across a line, follow your blisters instead. (laughs) And I'm writing an article on it now. And I love that. Like it wasn't like necessarily like the weaknesses. It was like doing the hard stuff is where you get like, you don't have to need for the confidence. Like you just have to try. Um, So I think people sometimes kind of overestimate what builds your confidence. And it is just like, I hate podcasts. I hate interviews. I stutter. Like this isn't comfortable for me, but my confidence Hmm. afterwards, I'm going to feel incredible. So I have to do it. So I think that there's something towards just doing the hard stuff. And it's not like the comfort zone, like all these cliche terms. It's just more like, hey, if something kind of scares you, there's probably something there. And Oh, yeah. And generally, like the growth never, like it always hurts. So it is something like that it is a, like I have a slogan, if I'm in a rut, I do what I hate. And that generally snaps me out of it. And you get more present that way. Also, if you're doing something scary, like you are in the moment. Um, So I think, yeah, with strengths, you can kind of like you can get by on them, but you have to keep challenging yourself uh, no matter what. And this is going to be a longer answer. But recently I just wrote something also about how every successful person I know has an and. So they have their primary Mm -hmm. strength, like which is like somebody's um, confident or a go-getter like that's a really like those are attractive qualities but generally the people who are drawn to have a quality that complements that that's a little bit contrasting also like so if you're um, a go-getter but you're empathetic or if you're confident plus a great listener like these things contrast each other that like in a way that complement each other and I think and working with clients, it's not just like identifying the strength. It's also trying to find like what qualities, like, like bring those strengths out a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. So I um, want to, Father Richard Rohr, who is a um, Catholic 
father here. I think he's lives in I think he's Mexico. A monk. monk. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a quote. Um, I have prayed for years for one good humiliation a day. Oh yeah. And then I must watch my reaction to it. I have no other way of spotting both my denied shadow self and my idealized persona. And I, I just pulled that up because what you're saying, Michael, makes me think of that. This idea of really a full life is is about the integration. It's like we can't live in this kind of blissful state of strength um, and think that we're going to grow. And yet, I don't. You know, we can't live in um, in struggle either. And so, this integration of both has to be where we find some space. And this idea of daily humiliations has always struck me with. Uh, with when I've heard Richard Bohr say that. And I, and I think that's what you're talking about. Like you're willing to walk into every day being humiliated over, and it could be like small things, you know, um, things we're scared of that we step into. And so um, I just want to share that because that's, you made me think of, of that. That's a great quote. I haven't heard before. And I, so I completely agree. It doesn't have to be a big thing for, uh, for me, it was sale. Mm -hmm. I, that was a big step, but generally like you don't have to get over your fear of heights by, uh, jumping out of a plane. Like you totally, like you can climb a ladder, like they're smaller, like the small steps generally is what I suggest. And also I'm like, believe I'll push myself for work. So like my uncomfortable state is at work, my comfort I want at home. So I think it mm-hmm. is contrast. If I don't want to be uncomfortable, like what's the point of being uncomfortable all the time? Like that's, yeah, like, right. like that's anxiety. So finding that balance of, yeah, like you're pushing yourself, but you're also taking care of yourself and we need security. So it is. Totally. It's both yeah, and. I'm not in that whole thing. <laughs> you need to push yourself 24 hours a day, comfort zone. To, no, you like, like we need comfort. Like that's the reward sometimes. Mm-hmm. Totally. I like that. And, you know, I can, as one who kind of, I think I, I kind of majored in being a writer uh, in a number of ways and could really lose myself in just the writing and go really, really introspective and, um, you know, just kind of focused on the writing every day and then kind of resent and resent having to build relationships and, and resist having to go out there into the world and like kind of make, make it happen with like getting published. Um, so yeah, that, and that was a learning curve that, you know, it's, I mean, as much as I do love the podcasting that we do here, sometimes, you know, thinking of all the technical things and reaching out to other people, it's, it's an exercise, but you're right. It does feel really rewarding. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it is the like it's the stuff we don't. Uh, it's the blisters, you know. It's the stuff that yeah. I recently, I read that. The, the IKEA effect. Have you heard this before? The IKEA effect. What is that? Yeah, was- like if two people buy furniture from IKEA, like the person who like who values it the most is the one who puts it together. So if you right. buy the furniture, like you don't have that attachment. It's like when you cook your own food, like it like it should taste a little bit better. So I think that's a really, there's something to like the craftsman mindset that I think is really important in our careers that like for you, if it's the technical stuff, like that's not fun, but knowing how to do everything, like that's kind of where the appreciation comes. Hmm. Yeah. 
That is so true. I think a lot of um, what your story is in in general from the 35,000 foot view is about building resiliency and in some cases, maybe even through failure or struggle. I think that's a big theme that's emerging here, um, how to bounce back after setbacks. Um, Could you tell us the story, the dramatic story about the day you lost $250,000? You know, how did it happen and how did you respond? Yeah, I don't know if I want this as like the slogan, like the slogan of how to fail in your career. But (laughs) before you start, though, Michael, real quick, I just read your Medium article about this, and it is so stinking good. Like I, (laughs) I was emotional. And and I, excuse me, I see myself a lot in that story. Uh, just oh, my yes. own experience over the last few years. And so I can't wait to hear you share, uh, to hear you talk about this because it was really powerful. So just wanted to say that. Thanks. Yeah, it was actually the, like that article was really long. And fortunately, I have a great editor at Medium at Forge who like who made that post shine, I think. But that so was good. A, I was waiting 12, like I started writing four years ago. And I waited for that one three years until I was mm-hmm. good enough. Um, and it, and that story, like, yeah, it was a big one. Um, so I kind of like wanted to have the skills to be able to tell it. And fortunately I had an editor who had those skills, but yes. So when I was 25, I guess I was in the mortgage industry in the United States and like during a boom, like, so I got lucky and I rolled the dice with going down to central America and I bought a house in like a resort. The idea of, was to flip them. Um, and I had a business part partner there and his dad, after five years, I was about to sell the last one. And I called them and said, Hey, I'm about to sell it. And they said, stop, stop, stop. We'll buy it from you. Long story short, the day that I was supposed to get the money, they called and said it wasn't going to happen. And then I later learned that the dad had changed the deed of the property to his name and sold it out from under me. Is that even legal? No, it's not legal. And I actually just a month ago, after 12 years, 13 years, um, just signed like he just he's um, the man who did it. um, We were supposed to go to court in the middle of October. And uh, the day before the hearing, he called our lawyers to negotiate finally. Golly. So we had a piece of land that's valued somewhere around what the house was just a couple weeks ago. Um, but I don't know if I'll ever be able to sell it, like just because of the climate. Um, there's problems in Costa Rica now. Um, so I think it may be 10 years before I actually see a dime, but maybe I will actually see something from it. But that was a, yeah, that I went off the deep end there and I started uh, drinking a lot, drugs, smoking um, for about a year and a half. And I got on a plane as kind of a Hail Mary um, to Barcelona. And I met my wife, like I lost 60 pounds in 60 days, like not planning. I just got in shape. Like I moved to Spain and I had to walk everywhere. I didn't have a car. I didn't have any money. So I had to eat cheap and I got in shape and I met my wife probably the day after I lost the 60th pound. And I don't Mm -hmm. think I would have like met her if I had met, if we had crossed paths at any other time. And that set me on a path here in Spain where it's been, I started to teach English. I wasn't legal here for a few years. So I had to do uh, whatever I 
could for jobs. Um, and I did a lot of them and I got, and when we got married, my wife and I, um, and met when I was given a seminar on presentations and negotiation skills for the government, actually, like they hired me without papers. And, mm. and when I got uh, legal, I started to like the, the teaching English moved in uh, to coaching sales stuff and entrepreneurship. So that was a, yeah, it feels a long time ago, huh? 12 years ago. Mm. And it was a great thing, like long, like long story short, it was a great thing that happened to me. I got in shape again. I was like, my habits weren't good before losing the money. So this just like accelerated everything. And it's funny how it ends up like, like the end of the story is happy. And it usually does turn out. Yeah. yeah well, I was, I was just going to ask you, yeah. like, <laughs> it's a happy ending. Yeah. A while. What did you learn about happiness? Like I've, I've studied you know, happiness for the science of happiness and well-being for the last, I don't know, 12 years. Like this is, this is the story of, of figuring out a life of meaning and a life that's well-lived. So what, what did you learn? I think a big part is just, I mean, moving forward is just the hardest part. I think like now I still have like anxiety at times, and, and recently with COVID, like being in the house all day, I'm a writer, but I need to be around people. Mm-hmm. And I get ideas from other people, from com- conversations. I'm like more of the person who can chime in, like not the person in the spotlight. And I need those things. And recently mm-hmm. I've been struggling like uh, with the happiness thing. I have a good job still. Like uh, writing is hot right now. Um, coaching's starting to to turn around also. And it is like, and for me, it's just like, I have to force myself outside each morning and I have to, Mm. like, I have to get moving. And I think like movement is like, it creates emotion. It creates, um, it creates everything. And, and with happiness too, I guess like the big thing is I'm not always going to be happy. Like learning that, like there is no state of happy, like a, a permanent state of happiness. Mm -hmm. And it is just learning to kind of, if you can string together, certain moments throughout the day, you're probably doing a good job. Yeah. And this comes back also to doing the things that don't, yeah, a little unconventional is like, I usually do things like I hate or that don't make me feel worse. Um, so I go to the gym. I don't like the gym. I don't like writing, but I feel great after I do it. So just finding those, like Mm. that sense of accomplishment and then, you know, kids, family is always a big thing. But for me, I need the relationships. I need like a little bit of exercise each day. And I need to kind of do the things that I don't want to do to get the sense of accomplishment. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Uh, And what struggles are you seeing uh, with your clients right now and other busy professionals these days from the pandemic? Um, How have you, you know, seen things maybe made better from the pandemic or or how are you seeing it maybe create more struggle for people? I think I was speaking to someone like a group of women about like what's like what they've learned from the from this experience. And the number one answer was that they did a good job with their kids. And I thought that that was a really interesting, like the kids did all right. And that like, that's a reflection of you as a parent. Um, But just like a lot of the struggles, I don't know if it's certain struggles in particular, or it's like more just being fed up and frustrated with having to be inside all day. 
in Spain, we uh, like we had 90 days, close to 100 days. We couldn't like my kids didn't see grass for that time. Mm. And it is just like the balance. Like we had to go out for what, like a half hour a day, just like just for food. Um, so it was just more like learning how to deal with your frustrations. Like this may be the hardest thing we have to go through until we find something harder. But it is a mm. the particular uh, specific things with clients. Yeah, lots getting used to working from home. Um, yeah, it's not as great as people think it is is what I'm hearing a lot. I think people like miss the human connection. I think that is something that is like, yeah, yeah, we have zoom now and it's more, it's easier to work from home if you want that. But I do think that a lot of people are realizing that some kind of mix is probably needed. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. It's like, careful what you wish for. You want to be working from home? Well, (laughs) here you go. I'm like, like for me in Spain, it's difficult. I have to have calls with people and it's something I have to be proactive in doing that because it is easy just to like, just to lock yourself inside all the time. And I, and in the long run, like, that's not a, like, that's not how I want to live. Um, so I think we're all trying to kind of like with coaching, I'm not necessarily coaching through this experience it's more like what i'm doing uh, now i'm starting to get more calls now as people need jobs again and going through the steps of of you know, it's like like to stand out now compared to a decade ago has changed a lot so it is mm. how do you make friends online like that's a massive skill now and trying to help people uh, navigate that new change is i think it's going to be there's going to be a learning curve with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel the same way. Like I'm working at home. There's a, I love it. I love the um, creative solitude of it, but I'm finding that I'm not as productive without people. I, I need conversation. I need ideation. I need challenge from other people. So it's, it's been, <clears throat> excuse me, it's been a little bit of, um, I don't know. I thought I was always really productive. And so now it's disheartening to see that it's harder for me to get going. Um, I I did want to ask you this question. Um, And Chad was telling me that you've written about how to develop your self-awareness in just four minutes a day. I'm super curious about that. Um, It sounds too good to be true, but I am. Yeah. Tell us about that a little bit. Sure. Um, so this is an exercise is like, it's just like a, like the end of each day, pull out a piece of paper, draw a line in the center and write the word love up top and the word hate on the other side and think back through all the things you had to do throughout the day that you either love doing or you hated doing. Um, and also the people around you like, and this is too, too good to be true, but what it does is you immediately see patterns and with self-awareness like that that's the name of the game and it will also like you'll get excited from seeing those patterns that you'll begin to explore yourself more so with meditation like that's a bit like like doing an hour a day is a, it's a massive step for people so there has to be an entry point and that exercise for for me, it's just a simple one that anybody can do that is like, hey, like maybe this isn't uh, too hard. It's not time consuming. I see a benefit 
and it just like that serves as the spark. So I think mm-hmm. if like if you want a habit to stick, you need to give yourself some easy wins, and and you need to start you know start like with small things that are very achievable. And that exercise, yeah, I let you like yeah, it's clickbait, but it really does yeah, it sets the like the stuff in motion. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally see that. I love, um, it seems just from what I'm reading and, and learning about you, you have this kind of, uh, simplify philosophy. I don't know if it's, I don't know if you'd call yourself a minimalist, but there really is something really, really beautiful and profound about, you know, the simplicity, like these don't, these things don't have to be hard. Like you don't need a bunch of crap in your closet. I, I loved the, yeah, for my mom. the the one thing you talked about with the hangers and I'm going to do that starting January one, by the way, simplifying my closet. But I love that you have that thread through all of your writing and all of your work. And I think there's a lot of people that are really craving the simplicity that it seems like you live in your own life and and teach people to work toward too. Yeah. It's not a big secret. Like there's no secrets, I don't think. And I do, I've been hearing more and more. I'm not saying anything new to anybody and, and the things I write, it's just like a easier way for people. And I, well, I think you're, I find that you get I, through the, the clutter. Like, yeah. And I think it's probably from stuttering and I'm also in Spain, like where I have to speak, you know, Spanish or really slow English. Um, so I think, <laughs> yeah, you know, I bet. yeah, I don't use big words. Um, and it's usually simple ideas done consistently are usually what, you know, creates change in somebody, but it is a right. thing is like, how, if this, like, there's a Tim Ferriss question of like, what, uh, forget how it goes. What if this were easy? I think it is mm-hmm. it forces you to like, think of that thing. And a lot of things aren't that hard if you break them down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, well, you say, I think you write at the end of that, that article that you, um, live in a slow country town. I know it's near Barcelona. Shelly and I were there, uh, in 2015. One of my favorite cities in the world. We really liked it, but it didn't seem like a slow country town. (laughs) It seemed pretty bustling. I'm in, we're, we're, um, (laughs) I'm about an hour outside the city now. Okay. Yeah. How nice. Yeah, so I bet that culturally alone, it's um, the the pace of life is a little slower. Yeah, it's like Barcelona without the tourists. So it's like a city sent, like you know, in Europe, like there's not like the suburbs. It's all kind of all in one place. So it's like Barcelona, like walking in the streets, except yeah. there aren't many people. And we have our <laughs> and my wife's family has a like they've been renting a farmhouse for the last forty years from like the people on the hill, you know, like the rich family who owns all the land. Like, so we have access to a thousand year old farmhouse on the weekends. Um, so, so we have our apartment here in the city and then maybe a 10 minute drive, we have this little farm. Mm. Um, and it's, I think we pay $1,500 a year for it. Like they've never raised the price. Mm. So it's like the lottery here. Like, so we have our apartment, but we also have access to land and then we're an hour from the beach we're an hour from barcelona we're about a half hour from the pyrenees it's a great we, place we just can't we go might have to come back and visit you michael yeah we might uh <laughs> need to be <laughs> getting back to the las ramblas yeah 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 like there's a lot of people it, it seems like with uh, 
medium, I'm meeting more and more people from Barcelona. It's, it's funny. It's a really nice area. Yeah, there's yes. some good people there. Actually, I did a TED Talk in, when was that, 2015? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, and still, like, still met some lovely, the people that I still am friends with and keep up with. They're um, mm-hmm. such good people. So, Michael, share with us some practices, routines, rituals that kind of shape your days and weeks um, just to keep you, you know, the whole idea, the idea of wholeness is coming up in my mind as we're having this conversation. Uh, I, I coach people, you know, I talk about don't choose happiness because that's, you know, choose happiness. I say choose wholeness, <laughs> like really be open and aware to all the things that are happening in your life. Um, so I'm curious, yeah, what practices and routines or rituals to keep you, um, I don't know, awake and aware with what's what your growth is in your life? I think writing is a really big thing that even if you don't want to be a writer, um, yeah, I started writing. I didn't have an idea of being a, a career writer or, and I didn't earn a dime from it until probably a year and a half ago. And it's just something that it makes you a stronger thinker, a, a better observer of life conversation to, uh, you're more patient. You're kind of like, you don't want to be a hypocrite. Um, so if I write about self-help, generally, I don't want to be the guy who's, you know, who's smoking a joint on the corner. So it is an interesting, like that kind of keeps me, it, um, it, um, it keeps me honest, so to speak. And it also is like, yeah. like you don't have to share your work with anybody. It's just like that release of getting out your thoughts, feelings, ideas. Um, it does help. And it is, it's like, yeah, like the people I think my like most successful friends is like the one thing that they do is they like, they carry a notebook everywhere they go. And it is just the tracking of your, of the things going like the love hate list. Um, and mm-hmm. and I do this, like we're like the kids are six and two. So we don't like routines are hard, but you do see the things at night um, with kids a night routine, you know, for me is more important than what you do in the morning. And it's like, if you see kids, if they don't have that, they turn into monsters. So, <laughs> so true. I think that there's something there with adults too. It's like, like we play the same like piano music every night. Like, like it's kind of a wind down thing. And I always feel best like during that time of day like and i think it is like the like the roll off effect of the kids having to do it and and one thing we try and do is we, like we have a holy shit jar where we'll write out things that make us say holy shit like for for the kids we use a different term <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a relief like in spain like like the gratitude like people kind of get like they don't like the language of gratitude or some of the other like more uh, I'm American terms. So we have to get mm-hmm. creative with like, yeah, you still need to appreciate life. So let's do it in a way that doesn't sound too hippie for people in Spain, I think. <laughs> and and <laughs> like, yeah, I heard about it a couple of years ago from uh, Noah Kagan, the guy who runs AppSumo. And he's got a lot of good ideas in his podcasts. Um, and, and that that one stuck. So it is like, for me, it's getting outside people, slow nights, some kind of gratitude or journaling thing. And that's usually, you know, try not to eat horribly. And that's usually um, about it. And I also try like with kids, I, 
I'm bad at this, like, but I'm trying is to cut off is like to set up a system where at the end of the day, I'm not thinking about work and yeah. with writing. It's hard. Like I get something in my head. I don't write fast. It takes me 10 hours for every article. Um, so I need to figure out a system and I try to do like the to-do list for the next day. Like never do that at night, like get it out of your, like finish it while you're still at your desk. So, so, so you aren't thinking about it and trying trying to figure out a way to hack that, like whether it's like putting my computer in the trunk of my car or whatever it is, like figuring out, like you have to tinker with those things to try and figure out like um, your own system and working yeah. from home, trying to get that system a lot stronger. And like, because I used to be able to go get the kids or I had a commute. Um, so I have to be a little bit more uh, self-disciplined uh, and that's sometimes, yes. sometimes bad for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think for all of us. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I see people write articles of the, like the discipline is like, like it's hard. Uh, like, it's not like if you fail at it, like you can't beat yourself up. It's just like try again, but there's no win or loss with it. And I think people sometimes do get like, I'm not that kind of person who can do that talk in their head, um, which is really dangerous. So it's just like being conscious. Yeah, I think being conscious is just the key to basically. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, we just we just talked to a productivity coach, Melissa Gracious, and she was like, "Just go for eighty yeah. percent." You know, don't go. <laughs> it's very true. That's one of my favorite things. Is like the truly confident know how to hold themselves back, and I love mm-hmm. that thought. Of it is the 80, you know, like just do one good thing every day and it's going to add up. Yeah. I I love that thought from uh, Melissa. Uh, It's very true. So one good thing every day and one daily humiliation. There we go. Uh, (laughs) That about sums it up. That's the recipe. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Um, Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, um, for me, I'm not a big productivity guy, but I really like Dan Sullivan. And he's the founder of strategic coach and he does, um, he leaves 30% of his day, uh, with white space on his calendar. Yeah. I've heard about that technique. So, so he does that first, like, and that serves a reminder, like that forces him to kind of think of like, Hey, like I only have five hours to work now. What tasks have to get done? And he caps himself at three points. Um, And I generally, that's for me, I think is probably like the best tip is like, get those three things done each day. And if you finish early, enjoy the day. If you don't, like you may have to push harder, Um, but you're going to get there if you do that. And yeah, I love that thought of like, get your, you know, for like wife and kids, if they're your priority, like schedule your time with your wife and kids first. Or mm-hmm. like the free time first, I, like that is a good reminder that we have a life and not a career, um, that the older you get, I think the more you start to realize that. Yeah, well, totally. yeah, that's a great message for everyone out there. I think just right there, I mean, slow, deliberate steps during this time of, well, not only this time of crisis, perhaps just as you go onwards, day in and day out, Michael Thompson sharing a little time with us 
today for this week's episode of the Big Self Podcast. Michael, how can they get in touch for you if they, you know, want a little coaching or um, just to find you, find you in your writing? Sure, I'm on Medium. I mean, I can send send you a link. My but my website is mikethompsonblog.com. And I'm okay. actually, we can yeah. both of this. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine is actually redoing it right now. So I'm gonna have one with all the bells and whistles probably in the next week. And I like LinkedIn. I'm not on social at all. Um, except for LinkedIn. Um, and I think I'm the same. Mike Thompson blog on LinkedIn also. So right. my website and there, like that's generally where I am. Awesome. Well, fantastic. We're going to share the love and uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us and our audience. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Michael, I just want to say thank you for for sharing your story um, and and kind of the ups and downs of it and being honest about it's not all it's not all great. You know, there's struggle involved and that's where you've learned the most. And so um, I talk about that a lot as well. And I think that's going to really resonate with our community and give them some inspiration to find meaning in the stuff that's it's hard right now. So thank you for that. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. This episode was brought to you ad-free by the Big Self School. And if you have been a part of the growing community from around the globe, 34 countries by last count that are following these uh, episodes on a weekly basis, we love your presence. We are so glad you're listening. We hope this process is making a difference in your life. If you would be so kind as to help our online visibility by giving us a review on Apple iTunes, we would be deeply grateful. We're starting this podcast from scratch. We've been doing it for a year now, bringing content value to our listeners at least once a week. And your support in even this one small way, well, I'm going to call it a big way. It's a big way, and it will make a big difference. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Our guest next week is Chris Collins. He's a big selfer, playing a big part in his local community. He is a chiropractic healer, helping the whole person. And we talked to him about what it means to build community, how we can do it now in this new normal and year into a global pandemic now, and how we can form strong connections now. Can't wait to share that one with you.